My name is Errol Corker, and I'm the founder and the CEO of the AB Corporate Foundation for Mental Health. Welcome to our podcast series, Brain Goods, Mental Health Moments. Our topic today is related to special need trusts. It's presented by attorney Terry Campbell. Attorney Terry Campbell is with Mortal Wilkins and Campbell SC law firm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's been in practice for over 40 years and he's gonna help us understand the special need trust related matters. Let's get started. Why is this important? It's important because it affects a lot of people. According to the 2011 report by the World Health Organization, there's 1 billion people with disabilities in the world. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.7% of the U.S. civilian non-institutionalized population reported a disability. A lot of people are affected by these issues. You know, there really is no one definition that defines special needs. It really refers to what those overall consequences are uh, from a disabling condition and the challenges that that disabling condition often imposes on an individual. And this can be physical, it can be mental, uh, it can be a combination of both. This is now from the estate planning approach. And I unfortunately see this mistake, it happens a lot. Do not disinherit a beneficiary with special needs. That is not necessary. And, and many people believe you have to, that you cannot leave assets for the benefit of a disabled person. So what often happens is uh, a person will choose maybe a sibling or another, rep another family member and they'll give them an extra share. And so the idea is, well, his brother is gonna take care of it. I, I know it's well-intended and it may very well work in some situations, but there's so many ways it can go wrong. If a family member dies, well, that assets may now go to a spouse or another person that maybe doesn't have the same attachment to that disabled person. Um, if that person gets divorced, those assets may leave the marriage. If that sibling who has been entrusted with the extra share is sued, those assets may go somewhere else other than the intended uh, purpose for that disabled individual. And the bottom line is you don't have to do it. We have special needs trust that can protect that disabled person. It will not interfere or discontinue the person's public benefits. And that is the fear. Um, a special needs person may be receiving SSI or may be receiving Medicaid benefits for insurance. And they're afraid if I leave my son these assets, he's gonna be kicked off all of those benefits. And that's just not the case. There are two very distinct types of special needs trust. One is the, a first party or self-settled trust. And that means it's funded with assets that belong to the disabled beneficiary. Now, that may not be 
assets that the person has in a bank account. Because if they're on SSI, they probably have less than $2,000. But what if they have a car accident and now they get a personal injury award? Or what if somebody just leaves them money in a will outright? Well, that's their money. And if they keep that money, yes, they probably will be kicked off public benefits. So they establish a special needs trust. The benefits will continue, and yet the special needs trust can benefit them. The other type is a third-party special needs trust. So if I have money and I have a disabled son, and I am going to put my money into a trust for the benefit of that son. That, that's my money. It's a third-party trust. Also, don't get confused by lingo. Special needs is often intertwined with supplemental needs. But the vast majority of these trusts are designed to preserve the benefits that that disa disabled person is receiving. This actually was specifically authorized by Congress in 1993 by the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. But if you're looking for law, in addition to that, there are other two sources that affect these provisions. One is the Social Security Administration's Program Operations Manual System, which we always call POMS because it's too much of a mouthful. And the other are the state Medicaid manuals. In Wisconsin, that would be what is often referred to as the MEH, the Medicaid Eligibility Handbook. So there are certain requirements that have to be met to ensure that a first-party special needs trust will qualify. It has to be established by an adult who uh, has mental capacity, notwithstanding the disability or it can be established by a legal guardian, a parent, a grandparent, or a court. Now, beware, Social Security has taken the position that a parent or grandparent may have the legal ability to establish it, but they can't fund it unless they have some sort of independent authority. So they are a court-appointed guardian as well or maybe they have a, a detailed power of attorney that gives them that ability. It was only in, in 2016 that we changed the law and finally allowed that disabled but mentally competent person to do it on his own. Believe it or not, before 2016, everybody else could create it that I just listed in that grouping, but the person couldn't do it on his own. So that was, a, that was a great change. The second statutory requirement is that person has to be disabled. That, that is an absolute requirement to have this kind of special needs trust. The third requirement, it's got to be irrevocable. Can't be changed or else the assets are available, which defeats the whole purpose. And then, yes, then the benefits would be at risk. The fourth statutory requirement, which is also often a downfall for people that are trying to do things without seeking the right kind of help. It has to be for the sole benefit of the disabled beneficiary. You can't have three kids and say, well, it's going to be just as well. I'll do one trust and I'll have sub trust. That will not work. 
this trust has to only have the disabled beneficiary as the benefit for the trust. The fifth one have to be under the age of 65. Now, if the trust was established prior to the beneficiary attaining age 65, you can continue to qualify even after they attain age 65, but you can't continue to make additions to the trust after that part, after that point in time. Now, here's, here's the one downside, perhaps, to putting a lot of money in a trust. There's a payback provision. So if these assets in the trust are not used for the benefit of the beneficiary during his lifetime, and so there's a substantial amount still left when that person dies, Medicaid will be paid back from those remaining trust funds for the benefits that were paid. And the other thing to please note, this is the first thing that happens. So if you're thinking, well, this, this special needs trust has money in it. So when this disabled person dies, we'll, we'll pay for the funeral. No, that will not happen because Medicaid gets paid back first. So a simple solution. All you have to do is make sure you prepay for the funeral from the special needs trust before the person dies. It's a matter of timing, though, and it can be critical. I already referred to this. These are a couple of reasons that often we find these trusts are created. Um, the person doesn't plan on getting money. They're, they're disabled and they meet the resource limits but suddenly they have some sort of a lump sum payment from an inheritance or a personal injury award or something similar. And so suddenly they have to act quickly to do something legitimately with the money or their benefits will be discontinued. Now, third-party special needs trust, no Medicaid payback. So if I put a lot of money in a trust for my disabled son, I can provide in that trust if my son dies and there's still trust funds left, those will be paid to his two siblings because there's no right for Medicaid to come back and make a claim. Also, you don't have to be disabled on a third-party trust like this. And there can be multiple beneficiaries. So go back to my example that you could not do on a first party, you can do on a third party. So I could make one trust for the benefit of my three children, including one who happens to be disabled or maybe slightly impaired. Maybe I'm worried that they're going to be disabled because they have a condition. I can do it all in one trust. Now, again, though, has to be irrevocable. And for a beneficiary that's disabled in particular, you can't give them any rights to revoke or to demand the trust funds because if they have the right to demand it, if they have the right to get to it, then, they, then it's an asset. And we've, again, defeated the whole purpose of what we're doing. You can establish these trusts during your lifetime or sometimes what we'll do in somebody's will or a trust, 
will provide that this trust is going to be established when they pass away. And it might already be set up as a subtrust of their living trust. Now, what other options do you have? And, and remember, I, I referenced that age 65. And as you may or may not suspect, sometimes we create these trusts for people that perhaps are in assisted living or might be anticipating a nursing home entry. Well, they're past 65. What do we do? A pooled special needs trust is an answer. It's established and maintained by a nonprofit association. And, if, and what, you, what happens is you have a sub-account within that pooled trust that contains these assets that have been distributed to benefit the individual. Again, let's go back to how it's established. The guardian, parent or grandparent, the court, the beneficiary, or the attorney, in fact, acting under a power of attorney. Now, before I get to the payback provision, powers of attorney, you can find them all over the internet. Financial powers of attorney, you're not going to find a really good one in the, on the internet because the power of attorney has to have very express language and provisions that specifically authorize your agent to establish a pooled trust on your behalf. And if it does not, you don't have the authority. So now you're facing perhaps a court action, something much more involved. General advice, maybe the best advice you get out of this presentation for financial powers of attorney. Take the time, seek out proper legal counsel, get it properly drafted. It will save you so many headaches and issues later. Now, there's a similar payback provision, except if the estate recovery claim exceeds what's left in the trust, then the trust funds can be retained by that nonprofit organization in its charitable fund. Now, what happens then is if I have a trust that is a pooled trust and I run out of money, this retained fund that has been built up by these types of circumstances might have funds that the pooled trust can allow access to pay for my benefits, to pay for things I might need. Maybe I need a, a new chair. Maybe I need a new wheelchair. Um, so it's a, great, it's a great system in Wisconsin, and I'm going to talk about our trust in a minute. Uh, we have two great organizations um, that have a good retained fund that often provides for those types of benefits when somebody's trust becomes depleted. Now, for the pooled trust, you do have to satisfy that definition of disabled. So remember, even if it's a if it's a third party, you still have to establish the disabled. It's a little different than if you created your own third party trust. I referenced these. We have WISPACT and we have Life Navigators. And, and if you have a family member that you have been considering such a trust, I encourage you to go to their websites. Uh, you can call them. 
You can speak to a representative who can also answer other questions that you might have. But they're two wonderful organizations. And what they do, if somebody is on SSI and you're thinking you're going to create your own trust and your, your brother, your brother is a smart guy, so you're going to have him manage it. SSI provisions are extremely complicated. And you can innocently make a distribution from a trust that might disqualify that person from SSI. One of the advantages of these organizations is you have a professional who, who understands those laws, who makes sure that inadvertently something like that doesn't happen. They also can assist in bill payment. They can expedite emergency distributions. You can have a trust advisor. So, so maybe I'm setting up this pooled trust for my youngest son. And I know I'm obviously, I'm going to pass away at some point. Uh, my son's going to hopefully live a lot longer. Well, maybe I'll have his brother be the future advisor. So that's that when I'm gone, the brother can be the one communicating with WISPACT, uh, indicating what the needs are and what the circumstances are. Sometimes a client will, will have a fear, well, will my, will my disabled beneficiary really be able to get the benefit of this? Or are they going to deny his request? Is he going to ask for money and constantly be told no? My experience is that simply does not happen. If it's a legitimate expense, and it could be any number of things, and I think we're going to look at some of those in a second, um, that request is going to be granted. Life Navigators, that was founded by parents who were committed to developing programs and educational opportunities for their children that had intellectual and developmental disabilities. And they, they, they envision that inclusive community that includes those disabled individuals. They offer a lot of hands-on help, a lot of personal help. Um, I didn't mention I, on the other slide, you could always go back and see the institution that manages the money. For, for Life Navigators, it's Prairie Trust, which is a trust company located in Waukesha. As I mentioned before, the key is these trusts are not counted as available resources for the purposes of that beneficiary's eligibility for all of these mean-tested programs. Um, a special needs trust will, will often specify the trustee is not obligated to and cannot be compelled by anyone to use the assets of the trust. It has to be total discretion. If it's not total discretion, there's the argument that the beneficiary may have access through some other means, which means it's accountable resource, which means we've created a lot of problems instead of solutions. Now, these are just some examples, but these trusts can pay for internet, it can pay for cable TV, it can buy a new tablet, it can pay for care managers, personal services, housekeeping, dry cleaning, attendance, companions. It's so broad, people are shocked at how much the beneficiary can truly benefit and enhance their life from these trust funds. Quality of life, appropriate vacations, appliances, tickets to recreational, 
um, Bucks, Brewers, um, all of those good things can benefit that person's life. Typically, you say it will supplement but not replace any of those public benefits. However, a trustee is also given the latitude of opting out. Sometimes, if you make a certain kind of distribution, it will decrease the beneficiary's SSI benefit. But if there is a sufficient trust fund, it may be worth it to benefit the beneficiary by making the distribution even though that benefit is decreased. So I don't think you always wanna make it an absolute under no circumstances can you make a distribution that might affect it because there may be a time where a distribution outweighs the benefit of that slight decrease in an SSI benefit. Most importantly, no matter who you talk to, make sure they do this kind of work. Um, in general, there's a lot of resources out there where the public can verify. Certainly with attorneys that practice in this area, um, we most of us belong to the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. And then Wisconsin, as many states, have a Wisconsin chapter of that National Academy. Um, the State Bar of Wisconsin, as most state bars have elder law sections that attorneys belong to. Um, be a good advocate, be a good consumer. Um, I am never offended by people asking me how, do, how many, you know, how long have I been doing this and how much of a percentage of my practice it is. Just make sure you get adequate professional advice. Many thanks, Jerry, for this presentation. I certainly found it to be very helpful to me in understanding a very complicated and difficult matter. And I'm glad that you have found it to be helpful to you. Again, thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you everyone for joining us on this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Go to abkf.org and support us so we can continue on with our mission. Thank you again.